Sirius XM and Augusta National present The Masters Show. And he puts out for a 68. Ben's best round of the four-day tournament. Hogan wins his first Masters. There's your champion, Fuzzy Zeller, 1979 Masters champion. There it is, as grand as it gets. The Tiger has his slam. Masters history, conversations with past champions, previewing this year's tournament and celebrating the unique traditions of the Masters. Bernard, when we put this jacket on you, you become a member of Augusta National Golf Club. You're invited to play in this tournament for the rest of your life. Okay. Very proud of that. The Masters Show with your host, Taylor Zarzer, begins right now on Sirius XM. And we welcome you to the Masters Show here on Sirius XM. Monday, February the 22nd is today's date. And as we look at the calendar now, we are only 42 days away from it being Masters Week. We're only 45 days away from the first round of the 2021 Masters, which will start on Thursday, April the 8th and conclude on Sunday, April the 11th. Of course, before that, you'll have the Augusta National Women's Amateur finishing at Augusta National on Saturday, April the 3rd, and the drive, chip, and putt will be on Sunday, April the 4th. Those are some dates that you need to write down and make sure that you're aware of, as I know that you love Augusta National just as much as we do. Masters Week will start here on SiriusXM on April the 5th, sixth week, six weeks from today, it'll be Masters Week. And we can't wait for that for the three practice round days before we have the four rounds of the 2021 Masters. We have another new addition to the field. He's not a first-timer. He played in the 2020 Masters, but he did qualify for the event by winning at Riviera and that, of course, is Max Homa. Homa made his debut in the 2020 Masters after winning the 2019 uh, tournament in Charlotte at Quail Hollow. Max has made it back to the Masters again by winning out at Riviera in a come-from-behind fashion. Sam Burns had the lead for most of the tournament. For three and a half days, he had the lead. But Homa hung around and the man from Los Angeles, California, that grew up just north of the course in Burbank, ends up winning the tournament, will make his second trip to Augusta National. He missed the cut at Augusta in November. We'll see if Max has better luck in April. So the field, the maximum the field can be at this moment is 86 players. And now that includes Trevor Immelman and Angel Cabrera. Both did not play in November of 2020. So the field could be smaller than that if Cabrera is unable to play and Immelman does, elects not to play. He only was broadcasting at Augusta National in November. He's doing such a fantastic job with that on television. And if Trevor continues to do that, then the field could be down to 84. But the maximum it can be, at least here today, is 86. Now, in just under five weeks, they will cut it off for category 19, which will be the top 50 in the official world golf rankings at that time. At the end of the calendar year, there's a top 50 cutoff, and there's another one that happens at the, the last Sunday in March. There are a couple of players that have entered the top 50 
since the end of the, of the calendar year, and they are Robert McIntyre of Scotland and Will Zalatoris of the United States. So there's a couple of guys that have entered the top 50, and if they can stay in there, they will be invited to Augusta National. So there's a couple of people to keep your eye on. Today on the show, Brian Catrick's going to go through all the categories, and he's got an eye on somebody that's qualified through each of the 18 different ways. It's going to give you a couple ringers to think about with six weeks to spare. And Dennis Paulson, who played in the Masters a couple of times, and after the first round he ever competed in, he led the tournament by himself back in 2000. DP's been a great broadcaster for a number of years, and he'll help us with our Masters coverage this year. So he will be on the show coming up a bit later on. And later in the show, we always like to look back on a Masters win through the years and also one of our favorite traditions. So we'll have that for you here on this Monday, February the 22nd, 2001 edition of the Masters show on Sirius XM. Now back to the Masters show on Sirius XM. And now here it is, the Matador. Two years in a tail, Sammy Ballesteros, the winner of the 44th Masters. The Masters show continues here on Sirius XM. I'm Taylor Zarzer. You just heard Brian Katrick. Welcome us back to the program. Now we're going to bring Brian Katrick into the program. BK, how are you? I am wonderful, Taylor. It's great to be on with you. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I have a couple of things I want to ask you about in terms of watching the Masters on the course, and I think that you are as much of an expert on that as anyone. So we're going to get to that coming up in just a little bit. But before we do that, we have an addition to the 2021 Masters field. He was in the 2020 Masters field just a few months ago, and now he's in the 2021 Masters field. Yes, of all the things that, that Max Homa accomplished by winning in his hometown of Los Angeles, California at, at a classic golf course like Riviera, one of the many things that, that was on that list was an invitation to this year's Masters, and he was not qualified any other way. Now, he's going to get a significant World Golf Ranking boost, so you know he may very well have hit the World Golf Ranking cutoff, which is uh, Category 19, but he doesn't have to worry about that because he is a tournament winner, and he is in. He is, and so the field is at a maximum of 86 players. We keep saying there are a couple of uh, past winners that may elect not to play. Trevor Immelman, who's turned into an outstanding broadcaster and, and a guy that we have come to really enjoy, he may just concentrate on that, and there may be a few others that do that as well. But the field is at a maximum of uh, of 86 players, and could get maybe around 90, 91, somewhere in that range by the time we, we get to the Masters just over six weeks from now. BK, for those that uh, are hearing the show for the first time, if you'll indulge me, let, let's go through this. And you don't have to give all 86 players, but just give a few that, that stand out in, in each category. Category one are winners of the event who receive a lifetime invitation. There are a bunch of them that are no longer competing. But give me a couple that you have your eye on that are past champions in the field this year. Well, I think the one that's created the most noise recently is Jordan Spieth. And he's on the list and was a guy that, that we didn't have those expectations for 
in 2020, this past November. We probably didn't even have those expectations back in 2019 when we played in April, but I think the expectations will be back on Jordan Spieth for sure. And my favorite part about Category 1 is not the more recent winners, as we wonder, will Tiger be in or not? Uh, it's the it's the guys from, from way back, you know, Bernhard Langer, Larry Mize, Fred Couples, these guys that are always making charges up the leaderboard. That's my favorite part of Category 1 is that these guys continue to be relevant at this golf tournament. Yeah, I love that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Langer or last week's guest, Larry Mize, make another run this year. What about Category number 2? Uh, that's the past U.S. Open champions for the last five years. Well, you got Brooks and Dustin in that category, so uh, that, they're going to make a lot of headlines. Uh, Gary Woodland is healthy again, and Bryson DeChambeau is actually getting a little slimmer. Yeah, I, I don't think he's losing any distance, but he's losing some of the bulk. He's always tweaking, and you always got to wonder what sort of combination he's going to bring with him down Magnolia Lane. Yeah, that's a good point, and um, you know he, how passionate he is about Augusta National, and and hoping that. He wins that event and puts on a, a green jacket. Number three on the list would be the uh, last five Open champions in the last five years. Anybody on that list strike you? Well, Jordan Spieth happens to be on that list also, which is very nice. He's qualified in several ways, which I, I love the fact that you point that out in this segment. That's, that's my favorite part of this segment is seeing all the different ways. Francesco Molinari is trying to play his way back in shape. And Shane Lowry, uh, there's no reason to think that Shane Lowry can't get the feel for Augusta National. Yeah, there's only four in the last five years because obviously we didn't have an Open Championship last year. And good point, uh, point out by you there, Molinari looks like he's starting to show some signs, played well at Riviera. His home course, by the way, now is, uh, is Riviera as he's recently moved to Los Angeles. Category four are the last five PGA champions we only have four of these, two because Brooks Kepka's won it twice. And uh, Jimmy Walker, his last year in the Masters on this exemption, he's got to find another way. Now the game is starting to round into form. Jimmy Walker is healthy again. Colin Morikawa is on that list. Uh, but it really feels like the more we look at this, this is Justin Thomas's year. And, and he's been a little quiet, mm. but I, I've got a great feel and great love for Augusta National. Justin Thomas has to be on the short list, no matter what category he's in. Category number five are players champions in the last three years. We'll, we'll add a third person, unless it's Webb or Rory, we'll add a third person to this list in a couple of weeks. Those are the other two, and those are two names that certainly have a chance at Augusta National. And anybody that wins the players championship can win at Augusta National, mostly because both courses, they don't really, they, they don't really favor a particular playing style. Augusta National is great if you hit it long, but you don't have to, as we've seen year in and year out. Uh, and also the proximity to it. The Masters is just a couple of weeks after the Players' Championship. So whoever gets there, gets in that last spot in Category 5 is, is going to be playing his best golf. Category 6 not used this year, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, we'll see if, in fact, we have that. We hope we do later this summer. And that person that wins the gold medal would cat would qualify for the 2022 Masters. Category 7, the U.S. Amateur Champ and the runner-up. Yeah, Tyler Strafacci has been playing a ton of golf. He's waiting to turn professional until after this. Same for Ali Osborne. These guys are measuring their days. They're basing their entire calendar and the rest of their professional careers around not missing this start. One of the great traditions about Augusta National, great traditions of the Masters, it goes all the way back to Bobby Jones. 
And this is exactly what he was looking for, and I, I love to see the guys still doing it. They'll be battling with British amateur champion Joe Long, the Englishman. At this moment, BK, only three amateurs in the field. Yeah, and that's I, I don't see that changing. When no, None of the amateurs are going to get in top uh, world golf rankings. You're going to need an amateur winner. We haven't had one of those on the PGA Tour since 1991, So, uh, and that, that was Phil. So it's going to be short. The field will be short on amateurs unless the, the tournament committee decides to do something in the special invitations category. It's always been one of the most special parts, mm. honoring the greatest amateur of all time at Bobby Jones. Uh, the, the amateur size of the field has fluctuated over the years, but three does seem a little light. Yeah, and I'm glad you pointed that out because Scott Michaud of Global Golf Post was on the show, longtime writer in the Augusta area, and he said with the Asia-Pacific, the Latin American, and the U.S. mid-amateur events, categories 9, 10, 11, all canceled, he said I, he would like to see maybe an, a player or two that would have had a chance to win one of those events invited. We'll see if the club decides to do that. Top 12 in ties from last year's Masters is category 12. Anybody that you have an eye on here? Well, Cam Smith jumps off the page to me uh, in that he's just continuing to play well, keeps giving himself chances week in and week out. Uh, Patrick Reed happens to be in this category, and he's won this year. He's, he's been in some other categories. John Rahm is also there. So uh, what we've seen year in and year out at Augusta National, as you know, is that some of those same guys just keep finding a way, and all of these guys in Category 12 look like they'll be contenders again. Have you thought about growing the hair out in the back and, and having a mustache like Cam Smith? I don't know that I have enough years left in my life to get there. But, but boy, if I thought I could, I would absolutely do it. How about you? You? I kept thinking about it. It would go up. It wouldn't go down like Cam. So I would, I would just, it would just go out uh, in a million different directions. I don't think that's good for anybody. Category number thirteen, top four from last year's U.S. Open. We've got a guy that, that finished second uh, that made an albatross in this event a few years back. Yeah, Louis Oosthuizen, uh with the albatross completing the ringer score at Augusta National, by the way, with that albatross at number uh, at number two, the par five down the hill. Of course, uh, you know what, what a memorable moment that was. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau's in this category too, and so is Matthew Wolf. And I think Matthew Wolf is going to continue to contend in major championships. Category 14 not used because we didn't have an open championship, so top four not used this year. Category 15, you know, there's a guy in this category. He's in several different categories. He just finished second at Riviera, and this guy is coming so close to winning golf tournaments on a weekly basis. What if Tony Finau doesn't win until he wins a green jacket uh, between the Puerto Rico Open five years ago and the Masters? What a story that would be. Well, I think if you offered that to Tony right now, he'd take <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> even, if, even if you told him he has to finish second every week between now and then, uh, there would be pain in a lot of those finishes. But if you gave him this as the, as the other side of the rainbow, I think he'd take it. I think a lot of fans would be, uh, would be on board, too. That would be wildly popular. Category 16 are all those that won tournaments on the PGA Tour within the last year. Is there someone that only qualifies this way, BK, that was significant or you found special? Well, I think special are the older guys. You know, Stuart Sink, Martin Laird, Brian Gay, guys that kind of caught lightning in a bottle, maybe maybe really, you know, practically are looking at what was probably going to be their last PGA Tour win. I think those are guys that, that are going to savor this trip to Augusta National. Uh, 
I, I think everybody in the field will tell you that they are. But I think when you when you get a chance in your 40s, like all of those guys are, to win one more time and get one more shot at it, it it's it's going to feel a little heavier for those guys. So that's what jumps out at it. Category 17, if you made the Tour Championship in August, you get in. There are a couple of guys that are only in this way, Sebastian Munoz, Lonto Griffin, and Cameron Champ. What's the difference between Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Cameron Champ? Is, is Champ really close in terms of how far he hits the golf ball to those guys? Oh, no question. And there's weeks, most weeks he actually hits it farther than Dustin Johnson. Bryson made it to where he, you know, nobody's hitting it farther, but when you ask the players on the PGA Tour if we had strictly a long drive contest, who would win? You're actually going to hear a couple of names. You're going to hear Tony Finau's name thrown in there, along with Bryson DeChambeau, but you're going to hear a lot of Cam Champ. Just naturally talented, great ge- generator of power. And, oh, by the way, not necessarily even maximizing it all right now. He hits the ball so very low. If that's all he was concerned about with distance, he might make some adjustments, and I don't think anybody could hit it as far as he does. And then it's Category 18, top 50 from the previous year. We have a handful of guys. Notably, Tommy Fleetwood is in this category. Wondering when the Englishman's going to have a huge American moment. There were guys like Sandy Lyle and and Ian Poulter and Jose Maria Olathabal that Bernhard Langer, until he started playing so much in the United States, who you didn't hear much from because they played almost exclusively on the European tour. Fleetwood would be a guy like that, right, if he were to win? Uh, no question. This is a guy, and, and you know, there, there was some bristling when uh, when there were some comments made last year at the Honda Classic when Fleet was, was in contention. Uh, but there's no question where, where the biggest stage in the game is, and, and those are the majors. And Tommy Fleetwood would answer a lot of questions, and he would stop caring about the rest of the questions if he could win at Augusta National. There are a couple of guys that have entered the top 50 the, in the first part of the year. They have to stay there as of March 28th in order for the field to expand. Of course, if you win a tournament in the next five weeks, you could get in as well. So uh, chances are BK will be somewhere around 90, maybe just a little bit above that, right? Uh, that's what it looks like, and that's that's kind of the number that, that makes for good viewing and, and comfortable pairings and groupings and and, uh, and that's the number that the club has seemingly always wanted. I, I don't think we'll get to 100. Uh, I do think we'll get right around 95 by the time we're done, and uh, I think that should be a great week. Brian, last thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go is um, you've been to the Masters so many times and um, well over 10. How, how many times in total have you been to Augusta National, well, either calling the event or, or witnessing it? Yeah, well, only once as a fan. So uh, very, very fortunate. And then working it for the next 19 after that. So so April will be my 20th credential. Uh, oh, here's hoping. And, uh, <laughs> and it'll be my 21st total trip to Augusta National, which is you know, amazing. You're, you're going to be the voice uh, of the Masters once again, leading our team. I can't wait to work with you. You've been all over the property calling shots from various different locations. Give, I know 15 and 16 is one that's really special to you that you've been calling shots through the years at, and you've witnessed a lot of hole-in-ones there. You witnessed Tiger Woods hitting the shot of the tournament two years ago as he went on to win his fifth green jacket Give us an, an idea of what that vantage point is like. Well, 
my vantage point on the left-hand side of the green at 15 all the way at the very top allows me to turn around. I'm basically directly over the tee at 16. Uh, so I have to turn around to see the tee shots. But being up that high, it's a wonderful spot. I can see all the way up to my right. I can see the top of the hill at 15. And actually, uh, when the guys take their clubs to the top of their backswing on the tee, you can see the flash of the shaft up there, the top of the back. I mean, we're, we're talking 550 yards away. You can see it, uh, and it's fantastic. And, of course, that bird's-eye view of, of the 16th hole as well, it, it's really hard to beat for, for the patrons that get a chance. If you can't get up that high at 15, then what I would recommend is go to the right-hand side of the 15th green. You get the same view of that, that incredible second shot where Gene Sarazen holds the double eagle. Uh, in the second Masters to go on to win. But, but you can also see the 16th green. Now, you may not see the tee shots get hit. Depends, you know, because the, uh, the other grandstands are going to be in the way. But you can still see the action at 16. And, and the patrons over there will let you know when a good shot's been hit. So you, they'll get your attention. Uh, it's, I, I feel like that's the most action-packed spot on the property, Taylor, is somewhere around the 15th green. Well, you'll be on the 18th hole this year. Uh, calling the action and I do know who your analyst is going to be I do know that he's confirmed to be your analyst but I do know that we're he wants to make a bigger announcement which I'm excited about so we're going to save that for a couple of weeks but I know you're excited about that too no question drum roll please and you can just let the drum roll go for uh, until <laughs> he's ready uh you you uh are to be Thanks for that. I mean, the, the broadcast team is going to be as strong as it's ever been. Uh, you're going to be a part of it. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, and when we tell you who that other person's going to be, uh, it's, it's just it's a tremendous addition to some of the most trusted voices in the game. Uh, I'm, I couldn't be more excited. I'm, I'm ready for the tournament to start now. Same here, my friend. Six weeks from now, we'll be on the grounds at Augusta National. It'll be Monday at the Masters. I can't wait for that. Thank you, BK. Got it. Thank you. Dennis Paulson led the 2000 Masters after the first round. First round he ever had in competition. He led the tournament after it was over. We'll talk to DP about that coming up next on Masters Radio on Sirius XM. The Masters Show on Sirius XM. Arnold Palmer and Bill Lane, the chairman, congratulating Gary Player. So for the third time in history, Gary Player is the Masters champion. Masters show rolls on here on Sirius XM. I'm Taylor Zarzer, and as promised, joining us now is a man that has been part of our Sirius XM coverage here for a number of years. This year, he'll be part of our Masters coverage in Augusta, not only our Masters coverage, but also the Augusta National Women's Amateur and the Drive Chip and Putt. The first time he ever played a round of competitive golf at Augusta National Golf Club, all he was was the medalist. He shot 68, and he had the lead in the 2000 Masters. He would go on to finish tied for 14th. He is Dennis Paulson. DP, how are you, my friend? I'm great, man. Uh, that brings back some fun memories. Back uh, the first time to get to go around that golf course in a competitive round of golf, but uh, it's kind of strange too because I was just going in for an interview. You know, Tom Lehman was on the golf course at five under par, so I was just doing my normal interview kind of thing, you know. And Tom doubles eighteen, and in the middle of my interview, it's like, 
well, congratulations. You're the leader of the masters. And instead of just having a nice little chat, all of a sudden these guys had 50 extra questions they wanted to ask me. Uh, so it was a completely, you know, different thing. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. And turned out fine. I made the joke that, uh, you know, if I shoot 74 or five tomorrow, not one of you will talk to me. And I think I shot 74 or five and one guy talked to me. So I was wrong. <laughs> uh, Dennis, what did you get? for being the outright leader? I know you have some hardware there. Is it in that room right now? Where is it? No, it's in a box somewhere. I don't know. It's through the moves. It's just in a box. My trophies and all those things are kind of hidden away right now in a safe place. But uh, no, it's a, it was a goblet. Just, you know, not the same as what you get like when you make an eagle, but similar to that, you know, first round leaders, low, I think they even have like low round of the day and then, leaders for the rounds and then you know naturally the big thing is the eagles the eagles are the thing that they really kind of make a big deal about yeah and uh to have that first round lead was was amazing you had a great year in in 2000 and it came uh, your some listeners may be familiar with your story you were a phenomenal junior player amateur player collegiate player and then throughout the 90s you were fighting tooth and nail to make it out there to the PGA Tour, which you did in the late 90s, in your mid-30s, and at the age of 37, you qualified for your first Masters. I know in, in 2000, you won on tour, and which, of course, would get you in the next year, but there were a couple of ways you got in. You played in all the majors in, in 2000, and in 2001, but Dennis, how did you qualify for the 2000 Masters? What did you do in 99 to qualify for your first Masters? Yeah, you know, I, I just played well enough to get in, into the Tour Championship. So the Tour Championship gives you all the majors. And then when I went on to win the next year, it the only tournament that it got me into was the Tournament of Champions. Because <laughs> I was in everything else. So, you know, I was high enough in the world rankings and everything else. So it was kind of funny that when the lay showed up in the mail, because you get a lay sent to you in the mail when you actually qualify when the golf tournament usually, and that year back then they were giving you Tommy Bahama kind of cool looking, you know, flowery printed shirts, which I wore quite often on the PJ tour. They weren't of the Tommy Bahama variety, but uh, they were straight downs. But uh, yeah, so it was kind of weird. I won and all the accolades and everything that you get with the one on the PJ tour. And the only one that I actually got into was to the tournament of champions because I was in everything else kind of backwards to do it that way. Yeah. You'd already. And at that time, um, more than the, now it's the top 12 in ties. I believe at that time it was top 16. You finished 14th in the 2000 masters, which was one of the many things that got you in to the 2001 masters. So let's go back to that first round when you shot 68. Dennis, had you been to Augusta? Did you ever play the golf course before that week or your preparation for the 2000 Masters? Yeah, I did. I played a, a few times. I went a few extra times. Um, and uh, the golf course, you know, the golf course, if you don't play it actually the week of the tournament, there's some thin spots and there's some places that you got to understand where to hit it. You know, I mean, like 10 hardly sees any kind of sun at all in the winter. You know, you play that golf course kind of early and 13 has really tough growing conditions down low. I mean, it's really good come the week of the tournament, but you got to be cognizant of everybody talks about how hard that second shot is at 13. Well, you're trying to cut a ball off a hooky lie. And especially before the tournament, it was pretty thin, you know, mud balls and everything else. The stuff that a lot of the players had to deal with this last year when they played in November, you know, it's a little thinner turf. And 
when it warms up, it's gorgeous in, in April, and the golf course is in incredible shape. What was it like to sleep on the lead? Not a big deal. I went home to the fam. You know, I mean, I had my kids, my, my uh, little guy um, was not born yet, but my oldest was only three, just about three years old, going to turn three in June. So I just kind of went back and hung out with him and uh, really wasn't that big of a deal, really. I mean, you know, it's like I said in the thing as well, all I've done is not lose the golf tournament. We always talk about that on Thursday. And I think almost every winner has ever said that. Every guy that's been interviewed says, well, I have all I've done is not lost this golf tournament because you can't win a tournament on Thursday, but we say it all the time. You can lose a golf tournament on Thursday. And I just hadn't done that. You were playing. Was that the best golf you were playing in your life? Uh, in the year 2000, you had, uh, you made the cut in, in three of the four majors you played in uh, that year. Um, and you had a top 11 finish in the open championship. We mentioned that you won at Westchester that year. It, you're in your late thirties. Was that your best golf? No, I think my best golf was actually the year before. I mean, I didn't win on the PJ Tour, but I played really well. I had a bunch of top tens that year. Um, but it was funny. I, I talked about it. If I didn't win that tournament and finish second, I might not have kept my card that year. It was really kind of inconsistent. I played really well at the Masters, and I played well at the Open Championship. And that was about it. I mean, really, I mean, I didn't do that much that year, really. I mean, I played okay in those tournaments. I definitely played well the Open Championship. I made a couple early birdies and kind of, kind of on the leaderboard and then just kind of fizzled out. I think I shot around even part of the final day. and That was, you know, another one of Tiger's unbelievable, you know, wins that David Duvall made a triple to give me a better finish, you know, on 17 when he made a match there. I remember that a little bit. Because uh, I thought, oh, maybe that's a top 10 and I'll get me in next year or whatever. You know, you kind of give it that way I didn't know exactly how high you had to finish to get into the open championship but um now actually 99 was my best year on tour I played really consistent I think I played 28 or 29 tournaments um only missed a few cuts and you know one of them was on the number at the PGA championship Uh, so I mean I really felt like I played consistent golf for the entire year which is not easy to do out there when you talk about you know trying to make consecutive cuts and and just have a really good year. I felt like my game was really, really good. I was dealing with some some physical issues in 2000 a little bit with my shoulder, and uh, it, it it hung in there pretty nicely, but it wasn't great for most of the year. In 99, I played pretty pretty healthy all year long without having any issues. You had a great stretch for a number of years on the PGA Tour, visiting with Dennis Paulson, part of our Masters team, part of our Sirius XM golf team. This is – the Masters show. Dennis, I want to ask you how special that event is. And uh, through the years, uh, I've fought with you every year to get you to come to Augusta and be part of our broadcast. And I finally convinced you to a degree to do that. We'll talk about that coming up in just a minute. But now that the best players in the world um, are all thinking about their careers and they're thinking about what trophies they won on their mantle, what, what they want to be said about them when their golf careers are over. If you're a Rory McIlroy or a John Rahm or a Justin Thomas, somebody that has not won this event, you're one of the best players in the world, and you've achieved so much already. Dennis, with six and a half weeks to go before the Masters starts, are you already thinking about Augusta National? Are you trying to get your game right in late February? How does that process work so that your best golf is there in in mid-April? 
That's a great question because, you know, I, I don't know really how the top players do it. I mean, they've got such a, a simple schedule for them. They really do. This is an awful weird year when you really look at it, how much great golf there is coming up here with everything that's been going on. I mean, you know, it started with Riviera and all these big events just kind of going through. There isn't, it's like, where do you take a week off? Where do you take a week off? Do you take a week off a Honda? You're not going to take the players off. Are you going to take, you know, possibly the Arnold Palmer off. Where are you going to take a week off? You got a World Golf Championships event. Um, <laughs> where, where do you find time to get ready for Augusta? And I think every player is going to have it a little different. I, you know, for my, myself personally, I basically took, I, I worked really hard through the West Coast because I liked all the courses on the West Coast. I might take Pebble off if I knew the weather was not looking real good. Um, it's just a long week up there. Um, I love the golf courses, but if the weather's going to be bad, it's just a tough, tough slodge. Um, and then I always took off Doral for the most part, for sure, and then kind of figured it out from there. And I liked playing the week before because I love playing in Atlanta. For me, it was the week before Augusta. And the, the greens, honestly, were actually faster there than they were at Augusta. I think it helped me prepare for the greens at Augusta National. Augusta has more slope, but overall pace, it seemed like Atlanta were some of the best greens on the PJ Tour. I mean, they really were. Um, and, and so I like to play that week. You're playing on overseeded Bermuda, so you get kind of the same thing going on. You get the same tight little lies around the greens. Um, it, it helped me prepare for the tournament for sure. Would you do that for San Antonio now? I, you know, it's similar grasses, but the weather's so different. It's really hot and muggy there, it seems like, for the most part. You get the chilly mornings, and it's different. That, that's a good question. I, I'm, I, I never got to play Valero. I've walked it and been, a, you know, an on-course commentator, and I don't know how much it would actually help me. Um, but I usually played better in most of my majors if I played the week prior. If it wasn't a long stretch that I was on, you know, if I, if I, I liked playing going into a major. Um, I always took the week off before the open championship because I went over a week early with my caddy and we just traveled around and played golf courses and had a good time and just kind of get acclimated. I wanted to make sure that I was there a good four or five days before the week started. So I was on time. It's really tough to get your body on time when you fly that far. And I always felt like it was better for me to be waking up normally as opposed to like being dead tired at six, stay up till 10 and then can't go to sleep. You are one of the best minds I've ever met when it comes to understanding surfaces on a golf course and your passion for it. You are so dialed into it. You have a love of the different surfaces, the different types of grasses. And every week as you prepare for your broadcast, it's something that you always focus on regardless of what tournaments you would play in Dennis. How would you suggest a one of the 86 current invitees gets ready for the undulation, for the green speeds, for the ability to be a great lag putter at Augusta National? How do you do that in the weeks ahead? Well, for me, all I try to do is miss every putt high. Anytime I had a big breaking putt was always try to miss it high, always over borrow. That way your speed usually was dying speed. Because once it gets below the hole, what's it doing? It's only working its way farther and farther away from the hole. And then really work hard on all of your four and five footers. And I believe that for me, growing up on Poana Greens, you had to be committed to your putts. And I always said, if you got a putt inside four feet, you got to make get the ball dirty. And what I mean by that, it's got to hit the back of the hole. Don't limp it into the hole. 
You know, you might have a three putt because you're going to knock a putt four or five feet by, but you're going to make a vast majority of them unless you're limping it in there. I never was a very good short putter, um, but I was an awesome lag putter. Um, I prided myself on putts from 30 to 60 feet where I just go up and tap it in because I just have perfect speed and go up there and just knock it in. I call them one foot taps. And that basically that means I could stand on one foot and make it. It's not that it's a foot from the hole, but I'd leave it in a simple, easy place. And I think that's really the key. I think I only had two, three putts that first year, which is pretty good first time around there um, at Augusta National. And, and, you know, every once in a while I hit that shot that's pretty good, like a 16, you know, but it catches the ridge and runs down the hill. And now you got that 40 footer back up the hill. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to have the odd three putt. It's pretty hard to go around Augusta National without doing that. So I'd, I'd work on that and fully commit to hitting wedges around the greens. Get really good from those tight lies around the greens. Figure out how you can do it with a wedge because it's so hard to chip up those hills. And I was a horrible putter from off the green. I never would use putter off. Dennis, uh, I've really respected your answer every year when we try to get you to come to Augusta National. And, and now that we have uh, the, the full play-by-play coverage of the Masters, we, we're not forcing you against your will, but we are getting you to take part in the women's amateur interviews and the drive, chip, and putt interviews and then the, the practice round coverage before you make your way back to San, to San Diego. But you've always said, Taylor, I'm not missing a second of the Masters. And if I'm at the Masters, I can't see – all of the masters yeah. is that the biggest veg out week of the year for you watching this tournament yeah yeah i think i got fixed that week <laughs> i got snipped the week of the masters or just before it so i had an excuse um no the, 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 i literally my wife already knows that date um i am there is no honeydew list at all on thursday through sunday you know that's what i do i watch the tournament that's what i've always done um, I've always watched the tournament. I love doing that. This year, I've actually committed to going out there and watching on Thursday because I want to be out there. We're going to do our show, and then I want to – I've never been a patron. I've, I have no idea where you can buy anything. I don't know where there's a restroom. I don't know anything outside the ropes at Augusta. I, I have no idea where any of that stuff is, and I want to experience that as a patron. So that's why I'm really excited about going, and then I'll leave on Friday afternoon. So I'm home on Saturday. To, to do the pregame, and then I'm going to watch every minute. If you need me on Sunday or Saturday night, I will have seen every single golf shot that they show. <laughs> we, we do. We, we, we need you on Saturday uh, and Sunday as we go into coverage, and I know that you'll have, right. have seen everything. Um, what's your favorite spot at Augusta National? Do you have My one? favorite spot? Like, if I, Where would I like to watch? Yeah. Or, um, that's a great question because I'm not really sure, but I know that there's so much action at six, seven. I mean, sitting up on the hillside at six underneath the tee box and balls actually going right over the top of your head, and then you can look right down the 16th hole and see the players play there. I think that's really, really cool. But uh, I, I want to see what that 18th hole looks like from behind the green as a as a patron, mm. just seeing what that shot looks like from there. How much can you really see? I've never even looked back down the hill that I can remember and see what it's like. Um, I want to be able to stand back there and uh, see some shots coming into the green at 18. Yeah, I have to tell you, that's a great observation for somebody that hasn't been there in a while. Um, the, one of the more surreal feelings I've had in, in my professionally was the Monday afternoon this past year in November – of the practice round as the sun is setting it's 5 15 in november and looking down at all the fall foliage as everybody is walking in finishing up and coming in on that monday 
uh, it is breathtaking. It really is. And um, I never thought I would be there on that at that time of year, but it it was amazing. But that is a that's a great spot. Hey, last thing, Dennis, what are your thoughts on what Augusta National and its members have done for uh, women's game now with the with the women's amateur and for children with the drive, chip, and putt? It's incredible. They just they just I think the ultimate compliment is that for the last thirty years, Augusta National hasn't done a single thing wrong. Everything they decide on, they do right. They do correctly. They do it for all the right reasons. And I'm so excited to be working the ladies' event that they're going to have out there. And uh, the kids, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, I hope I just get to touch enough kids to just talk to them, you know, do an interview with them. And they go, man, that was so fun. When I was 12 years old, I got interviewed after winning the drive, chip and butt. And, um, you know, that, is going to be a lasting thing for me personally. Um, one of the greatest memories I ever had at a golf tournament, I was about 13 or 14 years old. My grandfather was playing in the pro-am at, at uh, back then the Andy Williams LA open. And uh, he was playing with Don January and we got to walk the fourth hole um, with him. And then I was young man, what's your handicap? And I go, I don't know. I'm about a five right now. I think he goes, you want to hit a drive off the tee here for me? And he gave me his driver and let me hit his driver off the tee. Persimmon now, you don't want to hit an idiot mark there. I teed it up a little low and uh, hit an okay one down the middle. And I mean, I, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That, you know, I mean, Mr. Palmer, Mr. January, and Mr. Hogan, they're the only three that I've ever used Mr. in front of. All the rest of them are they a first name basis for the most part. But it's that was that was something I'll never forget. And I hope I can touch a kid in that same way, just doing a little interview with him and they go on to greatness. Yeah, the fact that they're able to do that at, on such hallowed ground in the game of golf is just such a treat. I can't wait for you to experience that this year. Dee, thanks for doing this for me, my friend. Uh, we love listening to you on Inside the Ropes with Carl from 10 to noon Eastern time each weekday. I'll see you in Augusta in six weeks. Yeah, man. And you know what? I get to be a kid outside the ropes. That's going to be so cool. Can't wait to be there with you. Dennis Paulson. It's got a, a goblet somewhere in a box in San Diego, California, for leading the 2000 Masters after the first round, part of our Masters coverage. We'll talk about some great anniversaries and some favorite traditions next on the Masters Show. The Masters Show on Sirius XL. Nicholas, this is for sole possession of the lead. Great guests this week on the Masters Show. We thank Brian Katrick and Dennis Paulson for their perspective this week. We look forward to next week's edition of the Masters, the first one in March. Just about a month away when we do that show next week. I can't wait for that. Well, in this last segment, we always like to focus on favorite traditions and an anniversary. I've got a tradition that you may not be aware of. So you are allowed to bring your camera into the grounds one day in a normal year. Now, I don't know about with the pandemic this year if, if there will be a, a, a different policy. But in when, when things are great and everybody's healthy, you're allowed to bring your camera in one day to Augusta National Golf Club. And they also have a spot just at the top of Magnolia Lane where anyone can take a picture of on this little circle of grass in front of the clubhouse. And the club takes the picture for you. And then they send you an email 
with your picture in front of the clubhouse. That is one of my favorite traditions at Augusta National Golf Club in the Masters is that you have a chance by yourself, with a friend, a loved one, to take a picture in front of the clubhouse, and then the club sends you that email. Uh, that's a pretty cool tradition. Again, I'm not big on the phones. I don't really like ever having your phone out there. I think it's a great a way to uh, get away from be so connected as we always are to the world these days. I love at Augusta National that you're just alone with your thoughts or with whoever's in front of you. That's your only communication. It's very good for the soul. Well, we're going to continue to look back at masters in the past. And I want for those that aren't familiar to become aware of what happened in 1958. A 28-year-old man from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, who played his collegiate golf at Wake Forest, had quickly become the face of golf in the late 50s. After Ben Hogan and Sam Snead had dominated the 40s and the 50s, Byron Nelson certainly was a part of that too, but really Hogan and Snead had dominated the 40s and the 50s. In the late 50s, along came a man named Arnold Palmer. And on April the 6th, 1958, he won the first of his four green jackets, holding off defending champion Doug Ford and Fred Hawkins by one shot. The 28-year-old Palmer had a one-shot lead over three others as he played the par 3 12th hole. He asked for relief from what he felt was an embedded lie behind the green for his second shot. A rules official declined to grant it, and Palmer made a double bogey. But he played a second ball and made par with it. A few holes later, tournament officials decided he should have been able to play the second ball, and he took a three, keeping his one-stroke advantage. He would eagle the next hole, the par 5 13th, to win by one. In a magazine story that was published a few days later, Sports Illustrated writer Herbert Warren Wynn referred to the 11th, 12th, and 13th holes as Amen Corner for the first time ever. Pretty cool. I'm not going to give his name, but I am going to tell you 12 years ago, I was at Augusta National Golf Club in the grill room, and I was visiting with someone that was there in 1958. There was a member of the club who told me the ball was embedded. He was certain of it because he was standing right there and that the original rules official wasn't certain because they did not ever come up to the golf ball to really give it a good look and that the people around the ball were certain it was embedded and that the right rule was made. In fact, after the tournament was over, the club celebrated the fact that Palmer played two golf balls and accepted whatever verdict came, either for him or against him. Palmer won the 1958 Masters, and he would win three more times. What a memory. Thank you to John Albanese for producing this edition of the Masters Show. Thank you for listening to it. 
I'm Taylor Zarzer. Remind you whether you agree or disagree, it's all for him. Have a great week. We will be back next Monday. <laughs>